if you pick up down in verse, uh, uh, Paul's going to actually say these words. I wish everyone in this courtroom, he's in a courtroom setting. He says, I wish everyone in this courtroom was just like me. Uh, look at um, chapter 26 there. Did you know that a Christian, I mean, a, a real born-again Bible-leaving Christian has a consuming wish um, we have a, a, a wish that's something for everyone. You know, you go, you watch, you know, the toy show, which used to be enjoyable. Uh, when you watch the toy show or when you watch the Late Late Show, they would say, and there's one for everyone in the audience. And, but, you know, God actually puts it in our heart that we wish that everybody in the world had what we have. Whether they're a prime minister or a plumber, whether they're an architect or an artist, a mason or a musician, a Bible-believing Christian yearns for men and women to become just like them, to become a Christian. Look at chapter 26 and verse 28. Acts 26, down to verse 28. We'll get down here. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God, that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost, I wish you were more, you were almost, and altogether such as I am, except for these bonds or these chains. Paul is standing there saying, I, I, I wish everyone would become a Christian like me. And, and, and it is the desire that ought to be in every Christian's life that you look at somebody and says, I wish you had the life I have. Now, I know we don't wish that because a lot of times we wouldn't want what we're going through for somebody else to go through but the life you live now as a Christian ought to be something you wish that other people could live because it is the best life as we're going to see let's pray father open our eyes and our hearts to this final desperate plea of Paul to to an unsaved group of people standing around him and when they looked at him he wasn't thinking about even his own uh, guiltiness or freedom and his defense he worried about their soul and he wished more than anything that that crowd of people would know what it meant to be a Christian and would want to be just like him open our eyes help us to see what Paul's life was like and may it put a burning in our heart that we would also say you know I've got a good life I am blessed I've been saved something happened to me and I wish it would happen to everybody so, and if it hasn't happened to somebody in this room, I pray that it would happen today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, ask yourself as we go through this, is this my desire? And if it's not, you're backslid. You've gotten away from having that same heart that Paul had. So, let's read the first eight verses as we go through this chapter. Acts chapter 26, 1 to 8. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. So just get it in your mind. He's in a courtroom situation. There's a king there who has the power and the authority to set him free. And Paul is there. He's already been accused falsely by Tertullus and by the Sanhedrin and by a whole host of people who just want him dead. And he now gets to speak and give his defense, verse 3. Especially because I know 
thee to be an expert in all the customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation to Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest or strictest, we might say, sect of our religion, I have lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our 12 tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which sake, which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. And he says, this is what we claim to hope. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? He said, why am I in trouble for believing in the resurrection? But that's where he's going to go with this whole thing. He's, Paul's been through some rough times. From the moment he got saved, he's been rejected by most every Christian he ever met first. Why? Because of his past. I mean, he was a killer. He then was hunted by the Jews in Damascus. He had to be let down out of a window over the wall of, of Damascus to flee for his life because the city was in uproar trying to find him and kill him. He was stoned with real rocks and left for dead in Iconium, all because he just preached repentance. He was beaten up several times, both in Philippi and then now in Jerusalem. He was almost torn apart by angry mobs in Ephesus and here in Jerusalem. He was jailed time after time in Philippi and Jerusalem and Caesarea. Quite a life he's living as a Christian, would you agree? Not your normal go-on-a-holiday type. But Paul says two unexpected things that we just read. Number one, he says, I'm happy to be here. Did you see that back there? Look there in verse 2. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I get to answer for myself. Now, that's not the normal response after what you've been through, and now you're still in trouble. He says, I'm glad to be here today. And then secondly, he says, and I wish you were all just like me. Now, that's spoken not by an arrogant man, but by a very passionate man. Paul was happy. Better believe he was. He was excited about the kind of life he got to live. Every day since getting saved, he said, I love my life. He was so convinced that the Christian life was the greatest life you could live that he never wanted to quit. Remember, we memorized last year, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself so that I might finish my course. He loved his life. He thought it was better than being a governor like Festus who was standing in front of him or like a king like Agrippa, he says, I've got the better life. Paul was a happy man, quite unlike a lot of Christians I meet. There's so many who have the same room temperature as the world around them. They are rude. They are bitter. They do nothing but complain. They're proud and there's no joy in them. No wonder the world doesn't see Christ. They see bitter people just like them. Listen for a moment there again where Paul says, I'm happy to be here. Paul is saying, I get to stand here, even though he's in chains, and I get to tell you about the amazing life that I live and answer all these accusations against me with my life. And I'm glad to do it. You see, he said, everybody knows my manner of life, how I lived from the beginning since I was a teenager. Huh. Would you be able to say 20 years from now, say, look back at my life. Tell me, you know me. 
I'm not, a, I'm not looking back and going, oh, don't remember that, don't remember that. No, the stuff that's in the past is under the blood. But I am following Jesus. You know me. Something happened to me. He asks a question there in verse 6. He says, I got to get there myself. Now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, under which promise our 12 tribes instantly serving God day and night. They hope to come. They hope the promise is fulfilled for which hope's sake. King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. So why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? He gets right to the point in his defense. He asks, why is it wrong? Why is it so wrong to believe that God would bring somebody back from the dead? And especially Jesus, because either Jesus, uh, he's standing before Agrippa and Paul's in trouble for believing that Jesus is alive. And he says, why would, you, why would you think it's incredible for God who can do anything to raise up Jesus from the dead? So that's why I'm in trouble here. But Paul desperately wishes that above all things, he says, as we read down there in verse 28, he says, after it all, he says, I'm not wishing that, that I had not experienced what I've experienced and that I have not gone through what I've gone through and that I am not, I don't wish that I was not here today. He says, I'm glad that God has brought me in his sovereignty to this place where I am in chains before you and I'm glad to be here. Do you ever see the will of God for your life as a burden, as, as trouble, as something you despise and you run from? Paul's not like that. Paul's standing there saying, Woo, I get to be here today. And I wish you were just like me. I think if Paul was standing here right now, he'd say it to us too. He says, don't look at my life and pity me. Don't look at all of the times that I had a rough day and, 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 and was shipwrecked and, and all the troubles that I went through and say, oh, poor Paul. No, you ought to yearn and wish that. I wish I got to experience what Paul did. I remember when I went off to Bible college, there was a guy there named Lowell Thompson that I sort of gravitated to. And I spent time with him. We went soul winning. We worked at the bus ministry, going to pick up kids on, on Sunday for Sunday school. We did a lot of things together, but I noticed he had a joy that I'd never seen before. He just never seemed to, to be like everybody else and uh, mad and angry and want to quit. And I just, I asked him, I said, I said to him, I, 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 I can't tell you how much I wish I was like you. And he looked at me and he said, there's a price to pay. And I didn't understand what he meant by that until I found out his life was not all happy. His life was not always good. It was tough. It was rough. There were a lot of things he had to sacrifice and give up in order to serve God. And yet he had joy. And what he was saying was, there's a life to live, but it's not like you think. It's not this, oh, I wish I had the life of Michael Jackson. Oh, I wish I had the life like so-and-so. Oh, I wish I had the money. I wish I... That is, there's nothing to that. You know what they wish? They wish everybody would leave them alone. They wish they could just run and hide. Paul saying, I've got something I wish everybody had. So let's start and let's find out because... There are a couple of things, there are five things that Paul wishes that we all had just like he did. Number one, look in verse, 19, verse 9. He actually describes how he wishes everyone in that room was saved just like him. Remember, 
verse 9, he's talking to Agrippa and to that crowd. There's at least a dozen very important government officials and maybe a hundred onlookers there. Paul's in the middle of this crowd. He's in chains in his wrists and in his ankles. And everybody else is, is looking at him, sneering at him, you know, mocking him. And he says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing also I did in Jerusalem. Oh, I was cruel in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison. Saints being other believers. Having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death. Oh, I gave my voice against them. I went, hear, hear. Verse 11. And I punished them oft in every synagogue. And I compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. I went out of the country and I went to go find these Christians. Verse 12. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them that journeyed with me. So I wasn't alone and everybody saw that light. Verse 14, and when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, he called my name, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou? And there's a pause there. And then he says the magic word, Lord. And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Paul's going back about 10 years to the time where he's able to tell the story. I'm not sure why this is slow. About what happened to him as he traveled on that road to Damascus. He's furious at the name of Jesus. I remember when I was not saved or anything, it was fun to tell a a religious joke. Oh, it made people laugh. I know a guy who was a painter. Before he got saved, he st stood up and he painted a very ungodly picture of, of uh, the Last Supper of Jesus. And it had all of the disciples around Jesus drunk. And God saved him. And a pastor asked him, he said, would you paint the back of our church? The man got up there, and as he got ready to paint, he was going to paint the Last Supper. Not like Michelangelo, but a better one. <laughs> He's going to do a better one. As he got up there, his mind went back to that time where he made a painting, and he showed it to all his friends. Everybody laughed at all the disciples drunk at the Last Supper. And he got ready, and that memory came back to him, and he fell on his knees, and he said, Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so ashamed of what I used to do. God, if you would use this paintbrush, if you'd use this talent, Lord, I'd never want to ever bring shame to you again. And he painted the Last Supper on the back of the church there for everybody. It was a great picture. But the idea is, you know, what we used to do, we ought to be ashamed of. And Paul said, there was a time there where I hated the very name of Jesus. I was furious at that name. I was angry at anyone who would think of following him. And then when I wasn't looking for Jesus. When I wasn't wanting to believe. When I was fighting and kicking and arguing and resisting every effort. Jesus talked to me. Jesus spoke to me. Jesus went looking for me. I like that verse, verse 14 again. Look there. 
when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking to me. Now, I can preach all day to this crowd, but you need to hear a voice behind the voice that's speaking to you that says he's right. Listen, that's me. Not Craig Ledbetter you're listening to. When you read the Bible, you need to hear the voice behind the words. When you hear a gospel song, don't listen to the melody and the music. Listen to what's being said. Listen to the voice behind the voice that's crying out to you, follow me. That was when Paul got saved. <laughs> um, that's when Paul got saved. He fell to the earth. Humbled, stunned, defeated, proven to be wrong about everything. All of a sudden, he had built his whole attitude that this Jesus fella is gone. He's dead. He was crucified. And he's trying to put out his memory. And then Jesus says, I'm here. I'm here. Hmm. And that's when Saul, Paul, Saul at that time, spoke back and wondered, is that really you, Lord? And that little bit of faith. Do you understand? How much faith does it take to get saved? Is that you, Lord? Is it really true? See, Paul stood there and poured out his heart in his testimony of the greatest event that ever happened to him. Not that he ever won the lottery and not that he lived in Caesarea or in, in um, um, Cilicia and... He had all this family. No, he says, the greatest event in my life was when Jesus saved me. And I wish you all were saved just like me. I wish you experienced salvation just like me. When I got saved 42 years ago, it was the greatest event of my life. So what happened, Lord Ledbetter? A man stood behind a pulpit and week after week told me I was lost and I wouldn't agree with him. I wouldn't listen to him. I was going to hell and I disagreed. And I said, I'm not that bad. And week after week, he Turn page after page in the Bible, not preaching directly at me, but preaching at everybody in that room. And then one day I realized he was talking right to me. And he had my name on every word he was saying. And I realized I was the, the sinner that Christ died for and I needed to get born again. And so when I argued and fought, I wasn't going to go talk to the pastor. I, wasn't, I was just going to walk away. But as I walked away, my heart began to beat a thousand beats a minute. And I went up to one of the guys there, John Cranford, and I said, we need to talk. He said, about what? He said, I, I said, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saved. I, I think I'm going to hell. And he says, we need to talk. And he took me to his home. And for an hour, he went through all the scriptures again. And I was saying, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Because I wanted to get saved. And he was trying to make sure I understood. And then he says, you ready to get saved? Ask Christ to save you. I didn't even know what to do. I just got out of the chair and got on my knees and I began to cry out, God, I understand you died for me and that you paid the penalty so I could be forgiven. Would you save me? It was the greatest day of my life. You say, how could they be so great? Because it is. It just, you can't beat it. I know some people, they, 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 they come to church, they, they pray their prayers and there's nothing Boy, when you get saved, there is something, and you just wish, I wish you had gotten saved just like I did. I wish, I wish you knew Jesus like I did. I wish you came under conviction of your sin like I did, because it worked. Don't ever lose that wish. The question is that other people would enjoy getting saved just like you did. I actually, after I got saved, see, I came out of, my mom had gone to some Pentecostal churches, 
And I had heard people say about you can lose your salvation and you need to get saved again and everything. I didn't understand all that because I wasn't saved yet. But I remember after I got saved, I, about a couple of years later, I remember talking to a Pentecostal who believed you could lose your salvation. I said, I wish I could lose my salvation. He looked at me and said, why? I said, so I could get saved again. <laughs> and then again and again. It was so good that I wish I could enjoy it again. Not that I can lose my salvation. You understand? Have you accepted that free gift? Are you saved? Paul was saved. Saved from sin's power. Sin does not have dominion over anymore. Saved from hell's flame. You don't have to go there anymore. Saved from Satan's dominion. You don't have to listen to him anymore. Paul was saved and he wished his worst enemies. He wished that Sanhedrin, the high priest, he wished every one of them were just as saved as he was. Secondly, verse 16. Verse 16 to 18, he says this. Paul uh, recounts how Jesus continued and said, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. You ought to circle that word purpose now. To make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering them from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Paul's sitting there describing. Now he's sneakily saying, Guys, I wish you were called just like I am. See, Jesus called Paul to a different kind of life that he'd been living. God took a religious killer and called him to preach the gospel, to win souls, to encourage believers, to start churches, to teach the Bible, to glorify Jesus, and to turn the world upside down. If you put as much effort that you used to put into sports, or that you do, or that you put, used to put into cryptocurrency or into stock markets, if you put the amount of energy that you put into all that and you put it into your Christian life, we'd be turning this world upside down. Look at what uh, Jesus called Paul to do. In verse 16, he says, Rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister. That's a big word for a servant. I want you to serve people. I want you to get down at their feet. I want you, when you go, to bring my gospel. And as a servant, not as, a, not as somebody in charge, not as somebody that's in, in the top, but from the bottom, that you would be a living Bible to them. Because I've never seen anybody like that. Most influencers speak from their pinnacle. They speak from, from their lofty height of wisdom and power. But a Christian doesn't speak from that. We speak from the feet we speak in the, in the bottom. We speak from jails. We speak in the hospital beds. We speak from our problems. We speak, he's alive, and I'm going to be okay. That speaks to the world like nothing else. Paul says, I wish you knew what it meant to be called and purposed by Jesus Christ. Look down to verse 18. He says, to open their eyes. Paul's trying to do it right there. He's sneakily saying, I'm trying to open your eyes, ladies and gentlemen, and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God so they may receive, here's the greatest gift, forgiveness, not of sin, but of sins, all of them. And you can get an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You know what that is? Heaven. You know, it's one thing to get forgiven, but... Then he gives you heaven on top of that. Isn't that wonderful? Paul gets to tell people, persuade people, convince people 
that they need to get saved and then to get to watch them get saved. Paul, um, every Christian in this room ought to know their calling and that it is our calling to do the same thing. We normally think about vocations. We normally think about, oh, well, pastor, you're called, but I don't want to, I don't want to be called. Well, you know, that's not true. Every Christian has been purposed in our salvation to do something for the Lord. Maybe it's not to be a church planner or a preacher or missionary, but how about having a godly home? That may be your calling. How about having a business that honors the Lord Jesus Christ instead of honoring the woke crowd? How about staying pure unto marriage? That's a calling. How about just giving away gospel tracts? That's a great calling. What about just serving people and earning the right to give them the gospel? An aimless Christian, guess what an aimless Christian is? A depressed Christian. End of story. You're never going to know joy until your life is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your soul is, why in your life? The truth is, your and my life is nothing without Christ leading and us following. So if you're saved, what is your purpose? Is it McDonald's? Flipping burgers? Is that your life for the rest of your life? Is it Netflix for the rest of your life? I wish you knew what God saved you for. It's usually for more than you settle for. You may think, okay, I've got everything under control. (laughs) God's call is not dependent upon you having everything under control. His purpose always pushes you beyond. Then thirdly, look in verse 19 again. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Paul's basically reminding them, he says, guys, I was not disobedient. I surrendered to that calling, and I wish you were surrendered to that calling. But I showed first unto them at Damascus. As soon as I got saved, I went preaching in Damascus and to Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea. And then I went to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Paul was not disobedient. Wow. Paul was through fighting Jesus. Um, I know a lot of people who are saved and they even know God has a job for them to do and they won't do it. They're too tired. They're too old. They're too bitter. They're too busy. Oh, they're too proud. Oh, it's too scary. It's too painful, Pastor. It's too unusual. Well, that's, that's too weird. But if you don't want to do the hard things for the Lord, then don't call yourself a Christian. You may be saved, but if you will not do what God's asking you to do, you're not a Christian because Christ did his Father's will, didn't he? Go back to Acts chapter 9. You're in 26. Go back to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and verse 4. This is the same event, but this was... When it originally happened, Paul's just telling the story 10 years later, Acts chapter 9 and verse 4, and he fell to the earth. Paul fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why are you trying still to attack me? Verse 5, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, Yep, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You tired yet? 
Verse 6, and he trembling and astonished, this is Paul saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said, go go on to Damascus, so on and so forth. That's the most important question you can ever ask God, even every day. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Now that I'm saved, what is it you want me to do? I know what my wife wants me to do. I know what my kids need me to do. I know what my boss, I know what everybody else wants me to do. I'd like to find out what you want me to do. What should I do now that I've been given eternal life? Thankfully, Paul surrendered to go to everywhere, go everywhere and talk to everyone about Jesus. You know, he talked to people that were unusual to him. He was a Jew, and yet God asked him to go and talk to a Gentile, which was unheard of. That was, that was so um, um, tough for him because he'd grown up knowing the Gentiles were the rejects of God. They were not even in the plan of God. They're just there. And you hear Jesus saying, now go talk to them. And Paul had to humble himself and go give them the gospel as if they were the most important people he ever uh, lived with and, and worked with. Paul surrendered to go to talk to anyone. Have you? Would you give the gospel to that person that is the most arrogant, obnoxious person who makes fun of you all the time? He also told them that they should repent. Did you notice that verse back there in Acts chapter 26? Let's go back there because this is a big words here. Acts chapter 26. In verse 20, but I showed first unto them at Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent. Now, that's not a popular message. You want to get a lot of likes on Twitter or on Facebook? Don't mention that all men need to repent of their sin. That doesn't get you likes. Paul said, I got to go and I got to preach repentance to turn to God and to do works meet for repentance. Now, to repent means to turn from whatever life they were living and by faith turn to the only God there is. And Once you've done that and you've trusted God, you can start to do good works. Do things that are commanded by God in this book to do right things. Have you done the right thing today? Things that match your repentance. If you truly are repentant, it should show. If you've actually walked away and abandoned that sinful life of the past, it ought to show in your new life. The truth is, and it's true, people don't like this saying, but the truth is, if there's been no repentance, I don't believe that you ever got saved. Because if you are living a life of, of oh, I'll just pray and then I'll go on and live any way you want to, why get saved? The life that Paul was preaching was, you must repent. He calls all men to repent. That's a serious attitude of, I'm in a mess. I'm going to hell. I'm an enemy of God. And in that brokenness, now you can believe. And when you get forgiven, you realize, I'm never going back to that old way. So ask your family, have there been any changes in your life? Now, you don't have to become perfect, but there ought to be some change. Amen. Tell them to repent, and they should believe Jesus suffered and died and rose again just for them. Verse 22, Acts 26, 22, he says, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great. I tell everybody, say none of the things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. So I just preach the Bible that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and even to the Gentiles. 
But many a Christian hesitates at their stage in their Christianity. They hesitate to trust the Lord and obey His Holy Spirit. They never really surrender. Some are scared of making a mistake. Do you realize when you get to preach, when you get to teach, when you, when you start to give the gospel, you will say stupid things. You'll put words backwards. You'll start to stutter and you'll be embarrassed. And you know what? I love how Paul says, God is chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It's not the perfection of preaching. It's not that your verbs and, and your subjects are conjugated in the correct, correct direction. And not that you impress with your verbosity and your elaboration, but that you just preach the gospel even if you stutter and you say things backwards. Don't be scared of making a mistake given the gospel. I think a lot of people are fearful of being different. You don't want to step out. I, I, I don't know what happened to the Irish spirit that used to be in Ireland where you didn't care about being different. But now if somebody gets saved, it is next to impossible for them to go into school and not do what everybody else is doing. Not talk like them. To surrender means to give up the freedom to do as I please and do as he pleases now. I found that surrender is the sweetest power that a Christian has. When you finally say, Lord, I'll just go with it. If that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. Why would a Texan come to Ireland? For the weather? Hmm? Do you think I got off the plane and there was a huge crowd of government officials greeting me? Going, our newest missionary has arrived here in Ireland. Let's give him a hand. Let's welcome him here. We're going to give you a building for you. That didn't happen. Why would a Texan do it? Because I surrendered my will to his. And I wish you did the same. I, can I say this? I wish you lived the same life I get to live. That's me, Craig Lebeter, talking to you. I don't say, oh, don't be a pastor. Don't be a missionary. Don't you dare teach Sunday school. Oh, you'll pull out whatever hair's left. No, no, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. The greatest joy a Christian has is in surrender. Lord, you win. <laughs> Lord, what do you want me to do? Verse 21. Want you, did you see what he says in 21? For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Hmm. What would you do if somebody was coming after you, had a big aluminum baseball bat, and was going to break your kneecaps, going to remind you, they're in, they're in charge. Would you just stay around and say, bring it on? <laughs> no, you'd probably run. He says, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Verse 22, he says these marvelous words. Having therefore obtained help of God, God always helped me. I continue, circle those two words. I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come you know what paul said saying to that crowd he says i'm safe ladies and gentlemen mm -hmm. i wish you were just as safe as i am paul knew he was safe why because he was doing the will of god i believe with all my heart that none of us have a guarantee of tomorrow you don't even have a guarantee of three heartbeats from now 
But if you get in the middle, middle of the will of God, God puts you in a purpose, God has a plan and says, I need you to do this, he'll keep you until that plan is finished. You want to live long? Do the will of God. You want to have a long life? Raise your family to live and follow and do the will of God. You'll be safer than a king surrounded by Roman soldiers. You'll be safer than anybody who has their own private army and own, own private security. Paul said, I'm in chains right here in front of you. I've been attacked. I've been mobbed. I've been beaten, but I'm still here. <laughs> because watch what he says. I didn't finish. Uh, let's go down to verse 24. And as he thus, well, I better stop there. I don't want to go to the next one. Uh, I'm looking for another verse. 17. Sorry, go back to verse 17. Jesus promised him saying, delivering them. That's a promise. Protecting thee from the people. Still in 26, 17. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Who's going to be protecting G uh, Paul? Well, Lord Jesus particularly. Jesus said, what I call you to do, I will protect you while you do it. Paul was safe because he was doing the will of God. And secondly, because he had the help of God. Paul was never on his own. At this point, he, he's got no defense attorney. None of his friends are able to come in there and speak for him. It looks like he's all alone, but he's not. Now, Jesus never promised to keep him from trouble. I used to think when I first got saved, I said, now my troubles are over. Didn't anybody else speak of that when they got saved? Oh, my troubles are over, right, Bill? Now, I tell you what, I'm just going to go from success to success. And we found out very quickly, meh. Jesus doesn't promise to keep you from trouble. He always promises to get you through trouble. We quote Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So I may have to go through this thing, but I'll be okay, because he's with me. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. Hold your place here, 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul gives his CV of his kind of life he lived as a Christian, and everyone in that room knew it. First, 2 Corinthians 11. Start in verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes. That's being whipped above measure. In prisons, more frequent than anyone else. In deaths, I've been at death's door often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save once. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep in the ocean. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside these things, those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I worry about everybody. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who's offended? And I burn not. But if I must needs glory, I will glory, I'll rejoice in the things which concern my infirmities. Wow. Um, 
The God of our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. And he goes back and he says, Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of Damascus with a garrison desiring to apprehend me. They sent a whole garrison after me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and I escaped his hands. How? By the help of God. You know what Paul said? I ain't acquitting. I'm not backing down. I'm not petering out. I'm not quitting. Why? Because God will take care of me. And that leads to our last point. Verse 26. There in Acts 26, 26. Uh, I don't want to go there. 22. should say 22. Acts 26. That's all wrong. Forget that. 26, 22. I kind of did reverse there. 26, 22. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none of the things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Now he's preaching the gospel. He's pouring his heart out. In verse 24, look what happens. And as he thus spake for himself, he's not finished yet. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Now, what did Festus just call him? A madman. You've gone crazy, Paul. All this education has blown a gasket. You've gone loopy. Wow. Um, Verse 25. Or 26, sorry. Oh, no, 25. But he said... I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Did you notice what just happened there? Festus interrupts his preaching. Says, Paul, I can't take any more. None of this makes any sense. You're, You're crazy. And Paul, look at how he responds like a gentleman. I am not mad, most noble Festus. What a way to talk to somebody who just interrupted you, who just mocked you. That's the only way to live, folks. Where when people try to stop you, try to shut you up, you don't let them. Paul responds and then just keeps preaching. Look, verse 26. He now, Paul then uh, speaks to Agrippa. For the king knoweth of of these things before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing... Jesus, his death and burial and resurrection was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now, think about it for a second. What just happened? Paul has just been sneakily doing what? Trying to persuade Agrippa. I tell the story of, there's a guy that we know, he's a German he lives in Germany. He came and lived here several years in, in Ireland. And his English was not so good. My German is... So he came to me one time and he says, could you teach me a bit of English? And I said, I don't know. I'll try. The only way I know how is if I got a German Bible and you got an English Bible and we'll just go through some scriptures and learn some words. Be, uh, that'd be all right? He said, yeah. So he'd come over to the house every week and we'd sit down and have a cup of tea and we start in John 3.16. And I'd say, read that in German. All right? What's that word mean? Because here in English, it's this. And what does that mean? And then we go through. 
Week number one, he'd hear some words, and we'd go through some verses, sip our tea, and he'd go home. Next week, he'd come, and he'd sit down. We'd go through some more scriptures. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what do you think that word saved means? I don't know. Well, let me go back to, look at this word. We go through the words. We'd sip our tea. He'd go home. Next week he'd come. And I'm going through Ephesians 8, 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith. And he looks at me one time as we're going through, and I ask him about this word and that word. He looks at me, I know what you're doing. <laughs> said, yes. Don't be shocked. I'm a pastor. <laughs> Folks, sometimes you have to be a little sneaky so that people in the crowd go, oh, he's trying to show me what a Christian is. He's showing me a life, and he almost got me. Amen. Now, when somebody says, ah, Ledbetter, you, you almost did it, what does Paul do? When, when, when Agrippa hesitates, my goodness. Um, I like verse 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, mm, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Can you imagine the deafening silence at that moment? I believe that entire crowd were almost, almost ready to stand up. They expected Agrippa to stand up, take off his royal cloak, and to come down there and hug Paul and says, we're brothers now. They expected, and then Agrippa went, yeah. Can you imagine the silence in that room and the heaviness of Paul's heart? What would you do if you're at the door or you're sitting there Christmas and you're, somebody says, why do you go to that church? What, what, what's this thing about being born again? And you begin to give them the gospel and you watch it grip their heart and they become terrified that you might just be right. And as you begin to show them, you must be born again. And then they close your Bible and they says, uh, let's go get some more pie. How would you feel? How would you react? Listen to Paul. Verse 29. After Agrippa just said, you almost did it. Almost thou persuadest me. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, King Agrippa, but also all that hear me this day were both almost like me and altogether such as I am, except for one thing. What does he say? He doesn't wish that anybody had the chains said, I wish I had my life. See, Paul doesn't skip a beat. Paul presses the point. Even though Agrippa says almost, Paul doesn't say, I'm finished yet. I got to say one more thing. Oh, how I wish you were almost, not just almost, but altogether like me. And, and notice, he doesn't say, Agrippa doesn't say, you almost got me saved, Paul. Does he say that? You almost convinced me to be a Christian. You know what Agrippa's admitting? You just showed me what a Christian is. You just showed me what the Christian life is. And you almost convinced me to not just get saved, but to get called and to be surrendered and to live safer than any army could ever make me and to be persistent like you, Paul. You almost convinced me. You see, Agrippa fully understood what Paul was asking him to become. <laughs> And he chose not to do it. Christian, be faithful. You know what impressed Agrippa? was not that Paul just told him how to be saved, but that Paul gave him the whole package. And he said, patiently put up with me, please. That's why Festus tried to interrupt him, because he could sense. I was witness to some, one of my family members, and 
She was an older one that needed to get saved before she died. And as I witnessed to her, somebody else in the family butted in, shot in, and says, come on, come on, come away, and took her away because they knew she was under conviction. And they knew that she might get saved and be like Craig. <laughs> it happens and it bother you. Wow. You know what gets people saved? Faithful Christians. The world meets too many yo-yo Christians. Christians who are barely Sunday only. This world needs to see a bunch of persistent people who consistently pray and consistently soul win and consistently give and go. Who's not saved in your family? That you gave the gospel to and they rejected. Go at them again. Stay on them. Who's not saved at work? Keep inviting them. I told you about this guy I worked with. He mocked. He, boy, I was kind of immature as a Christian. He would mock. I would mock back <laughs> with the gospel. And, but two years after I left and went to New Jersey, he phoned me up. He looked me up and phoned me up to tell me, Craig, you won't believe it. But I got saved. Now, what if I quit just because he stopped being interested after I first gave him the witness the first time? He actually said, it's because you kept coming at me and you kept putting me uncomfortable. Stay faithful. Unfortunately, Agrippa and Festus made their decision. Verse 30. When he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Hmm. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Now, you may not understand it, but those three people, and especially that entire crowd, made their decision. They chose not to believe. They decided, oh, let's, let's have our little powwow. Let's talk about this guy. But they never got saved. You know, they were free to walk away. Did you know that? You're all, every one of you are free to hear me plead with you and then walk out this door and go home. You are free to do that. But you are not free from the consequences of that decision. They decided to pass on Paul to the next guy. I've gone to many a door, and I'd start giving the guys, oh, no, no, go down to my neighbor. He'll listen to you. That's what they're doing. Oh, let's send this guy to Caesar. Let's see how he reacts. They're passing him on. And then they decided to go back to their pitiful, wasted, lost lives. They were lost, and they didn't care about it. You know, Agrippa almost got it almost became like one of us, a true fanatic, a Christ follower. Paul didn't want Agrippa just to pray a prayer, just to dabble in religion or become a good person or change his religion. He wanted Agrippa to become a Christian, to be, live like Christ. There's nothing better being, than being a sold-out, born-again, sin-hating, blood-bought, Bible-eating, soul-winner, sinner, sinner saved by God's grace. I can say that. And doing the will of God by the same grace that saved. But oh, how Paul's heart broke at that one word. The worst word I think we could ever use when, or somebody could ever use when we were given the gospel. You almost got me. Now, did Agrippa reject the gospel? Not flat out. He just said, I don't want it. And that damned him. 
You know why most people go to hell? Because they won't believe. It's not because of the alcohol, not because of the sex before marriage, not because of the adultery, not because of all kinds of things, the murder, I don't care what all things could happen to somebody's life. The only thing that keeps somebody from going to heaven is they have not believed on the only begotten Son of God. You can neglect it and walk away from it, and you're lost. And it broke Paul's heart. Don't make the same mistake. Uh, right now is your moment. Repentance is not a fun word to realize before God. He already sees my heart. He's waiting for me to admit it, to agree with him, to humble myself. Paul got knocked on his face, which was a good place to be when you're in the presence of Jesus. Maybe you, when you bow your head, you'd say, God, you got me. I don't want to be like Agrippa and get almost saved. I want to get all together. And I want to not only be saved, I want to know what it means to live the Christian life. I want to go all the way. I want to be a Christian. It starts with repentance. And it's finished by belief in Jesus Christ. He did it all. All to him I owe. Don't be an almost Christian. That's what a lot of people are. They're almost that's a wasted life. Stand with me in bound prayer, please. Right now in heaven, there's a hundred million angels looking down just on this one service. They're ready to stand up and shout and rejoice if just one sinner would repent. God, you have given us the example of Paul. You've given us the, the compelling reasons why get saved. And you've given us the invitation. I got saved 42 years ago, never regretted it for one second, never doubted it for one millisecond. Always wondered whether my life would ever amount to anything but I love my life. I love what I get to do. And I truly wish that everyone in this room, I wish everyone in this room got to live the life I, got to, I get to live every day. So no matter what you want to do in our midst, whether it's somebody gets saved or some Christians finally start living it, I pray we make the decision, God, that we would not be almost, but we'd be true. And if anybody's got questions, Lord, help them come to me. If anybody wants to just make that decision, let them make a decision in prayer to you right now. Please. In Jesus' name.